Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today, I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Um, a lot drier than I was on Saturday. Um, we were not expecting rain whatsoever. It was not in the forecast. Uh, we were obviously in the, in the press box, so during the game, we were fine. But then uh, Cole and I, as we were leaving the stadium, uh, it started to rain quite heavily, and we had roughly about a 10-minute walk to get back to uh our rental car and uh, i was i was um quite soaked i would say by the time that we made it back and made it for a non-pleasant drive uh back to our hotel at about two o'clock in the morning well cole how are you doing today you feeling feeling better how was your trip to Stillwater? uh it was good i too am uh warmer drier uh less miserable than i was roughly 48 hours 48 to you know some 50 or so hours ago so i'm doing good well no it wasn't necessarily completely dry here either but how are you doing today wasn't but uh yeah i didn't make the trip to Stillwater. got to watch the game uh from the comfort of my apartment with uh replays and, and the whole bit so I, i'm doing pretty well yeah, it, it was it was it's been interesting. There's been tons of of haboobs and weird weather stuff going on in Arizona. So it's been it's been some interesting stuff with all the lightning and rain and all that stuff going down. But we weren't necessarily wet since we were indoors, so we didn't have to go through any of that. But let's talk about ASU's 34 to 17 loss against Oklahoma State on the road this past weekend. The first thing I want to touch on here, Chris is any injuries that may have come out you were able to go to practice this morning as well so do we have any updates on any sort of injury front that might have happened in terms of an impact from this game right so herm edwards said monday that uh, it seemed like asu came out of the game pretty healthy and clean uh that said uh Ro torrance this asu starting cornerback uh was not practicing uh, in the game and in, in today, even though he was observed. Um, and I think that's something that's just going to have to be monitored moving forward. Not really able to say specifics about um, the nature of his injury or anything like that based upon ASU's guidelines on practice observations, unfortunately. Uh, Ed Woods missed the Oklahoma State game after starting at cornerback against Northern Arizona. So in the event that uh, Roe Torrance and Ed Woods don't play this week, which I think is quite possible, um, the, it looks like the Sun Devils would play to Marcus Davis and Keon Markham as their starting cornerbacks. Uh, Davis played against Oklahoma State. I thought he looked quite rusty after missing about a month, did not have a good game. Keon Markham looked pretty good in spots. He had a couple other non-great moments. Um, so we're monitoring that, uh, elsewhere though, they do look quite healthy. I, I would say, um, I didn't notice any injuries or other issues in among the rest of the players in their 2d. Well, that is the injury update as of now, as always, we'll keep you up to date with injuries as they head into the game this weekend, but let's stay with the Oklahoma state game. There's not much you can say about this game without ending up saying something about third downs and ASU's conversion of them. They had 13 third downs uh, against Oklahoma State. They were two of 13 in conversions on those third downs as well. The Sun Devils had zero rushing first downs and 10 of those third 
third downs were third and medium or longer. So how much of those struggles will go to you first, Cole, but how much of the struggles with those third downs were specifically related to kind of how they actually executed on the third downs and how much of it might've been what they were able to do on first and second down before it. Yeah, Ethan, I think it had a lot to do with just overall offensive game plan. I think they came in with the idea of like, you know, let's be methodical. Let's keep the ball out of Oklahoma State's hands as as long as possible. And let's let's pound the rock. Um, And the problem with that is is when you're not able to really do anything on first and second down because the defense picks up on that. And Oklahoma State's defense definitely did that, especially once they found their groove in the second quarter there. you don't really set yourself up with a third and manageable um, really at all. They had plenty of third and longs, uh, third and mediums at best uh, for most of the time. And they didn't pick up their first uh, first down until late in the third quarter. And lo and behold, it was on a passing play. And then they got their second third down conversion after that on another passing play. Um, so I think just the game plan wasn't very conducive of, you know, being able to execute the way that they wanted to. Um, and it really showed, especially, uh, you know, once they got late into the third quarter before they really started doing anything. Noah, what are your thoughts on third downs and why ASU weren't able to convert them? I mean, everything Cole said makes sense as far as what led up to the third downs. But in terms of like just the play that led to some of their um, issues on the downs themselves, I'll, I'll get into some of that. Um with Emory Jones, you know, he had a pretty solid game, but uh, even he acknowledged um, in his post-game presser that he sort of refrained from using his legs uh, to, I guess, either extend plays or scramble out of the pocket to uh, potentially pick up first downs uh, on the run. Uh, something that uh, came up against NAU after that game was uh, Herm Edwards talking about how uh, he apparently told Jones that um, – he needs to find ways to, you know, figure out uh, when it's time to to turn things in and not take big hits. Uh, you know, I'm, it's really just speculation the extent to which that had carried over into some of his hesitation against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Uh, but I think that was definitely a factor um, among, um, you know, some other things just just with overall play. You know, the pass protection um, came into effect. You know, and, and that sort of meshed with Jones's inability or, or unwillingness to sort of, uh, you know, run out of the pocket and, and extend plays, like I've said. So, you know, those are some things that sort of came into play there. I hope that I don't uh, put people to sleep with the length of my answer here, because it's probably going to take several minutes. But um, I went back and I watched the game a second time. Obviously, when you're there, you're, you're tweeting, you're in the press box, you're not seeing maybe everything to the degree that you would like. Um, but uh, went through all the plays. First third down was the uh, Jones was pressured. He threw the ball like kind of high and behind Swinson in, in the end zone. I think that was a missed throw by Jones, even though he was pressured. Probably should have had that one. Second one was a third and 10. What happened was Elijah, they were in his zone, Oklahoma State. Elijah Badger was supposed to basically continue to move more toward the middle of the field and he, to be in between a, a void in that zone. He didn't do that. Uh, and so the the pass was by Jones and thinking that that was what was going to happen. They had a conversation after the play. The next one was a third and four where Isaiah Glass had a bad uh, pass set to allow very immediate pressure. 
and that that uh, was an unsuccessful one. Following that, actually, ASU replaced Glass with Emmett Boley on the very next series. Um, then we saw that uh, third and three run play, which a lot of times you're going to throw the ball third and three, but ASU ran the ball to validate, and uh, Oklahoma State was very ready for that. And there was a, a missed block by Des Holmes, but yeah, I don't know about, I'm not entirely sure that was the right play call in that situation. Um, the next one, which, which was maybe the most consequential in the first half, was the third and one where Emory Jones uh, kept the ball on a zone read. I mean, he handed the ball off on a zone read to uh, Valade, who was immediately hit uh, by the crashing defensive end and fumbled the ball. Oklahoma State recovered it. Oklahoma State went on to score. That one, it was very obvious to me that Jones should have kept the ball um, with how aggressively that the end was crashing there. He may or may not have been able to get the first down. I think that's tough because they were somebody else was sort of scraping around and may have had a chance to get there, but that wasn't the read that Jones had. And so that was a mistake. The next one was a third and 10 where um, it was a completion to Badger, but it was well short of coverage on a, a short, shallow cross. Um, I just, you know, I, I don't know that that was really had much of a chance to be a conversion. Um, then there was the third and 16 at the end of the half. People will remember that ASU got very conservative and ran the ball three straight times at the end of the half, trying to burn the clock so that, um, so that uh, Oklahoma State wouldn't have a chance to score the ball again. But then Eddie Chaplitsky shanked the punt 19 yards. It was a little windy there. Oklahoma State came down, got a field goal anyways. I think that was a way too conservative, even more so maybe on like second down, uh, the, the play that they ran. Uh, then on, in the second half, uh, there was um, Isai Glass gave up a bull rush that got to uh, Jones right away on a third and six uh, that prevented Jones from seeing that Geo Sanders was actually wide open on the backside of the first read. Um, then there was a third and two in which uh, Martinez, the right guard, was beaten pretty badly, and uh, nobody got to the play side linebacker on a run play, which prevented ASU from being able to run for a first down there. Uh, and then third and seven, there was a, a completion from Jones to the Sanders on um, a little, there was, I think it was like a, a little slant or a hitch concept. It was a quick game. It was throw came out quickly in front of the defensive back. Those are the types of, of, of routes. I think that there weren't enough of in the first three quarters, I would say uh, that was their first, completion then the next one they had a third and 18 jones competed made a completion of badger shy of the first down but then he uh did a little spin kind of a move and was able to kind of work his way past the the marker which is a really nice play on on, on his part um and then the last two there was a third and 10 where uh chris martinez was late to react off the snap which allowed pressure and Emory Jones threw high of his target. And then there was a third and one where they really had no chance at the end of the game. So that's all the third downs. Um, thing I want to really sort of emphasize, though, is as some of the guys talked about previously, uh, a, lot of, a lot of it was, I think, failings and or real conservatism on first and second downs that put ASU in some of those situations. Uh, I think Xavier Valade had a good game running the ball. The, it wasn't that ASU 
didn't have the ability to run the football, but what we didn't see much of in this game, uh, we didn't see a lot of screens. They didn't throw the ball to their backs at all. We did not see uh, uh, slants to the, the, to the X receiver, uh, back shoulder fades, stop routes. We didn't see quick game on first and second down in situations where the, uh, the, the defensive line, which was getting a lot of pressure, maybe wouldn't have had as much of a, of a time to get to Emory Jones uh, and or they have the ability to maybe stretch the field laterally uh, with some of these screen actions and, 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 and quick game concepts. Um, I think they were quite conservative in the second and third quarters um, in, in terms of the overall play calling. And part of that is you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because uh, I know for, I know reasonably confidently that Herm Edwards with his nature going into this game, didn't want to have a high possession, high play count game for Oklahoma state. And um, so, you know, how do you sort of counterbalance that you, you huddle, you run the ball more, you burn clock, you try to keep your defense on the sidelines uh, as much as you can but that really that only works if you're able to get um, some conversions, more conversions, and, and they weren't. And then the other part of this, which um, is, I think, uh, indisputably true, is that when you have Jaden Daniels as your quarterback, as ASU had the last three years, he would have run in some of these situations. He would have just scrambled early, and he probably would have picked up some of these um, third downs on, on dropbacks. Uh, you know, probably not a lot, but – enough that ASU wouldn't have been two of 13. Maybe ASU would have been been four of 13, five of 13, something like that. Maybe they would have had a few more third downs in the game because they would have converted some. Um, And, um, but Emory Jones, which there's some benefit to this for sure. He was more, he has shown he's more willing to try to hang in the pocket and wait for route development to try to throw the ball. Well, that's good that there's advantages to that, but, as an offense and as a, as a, a head coach, her members, you have to sort of calibrate to that difference. And I don't know that they had sort of the anticipation to calibrate to that. And then in the press conference that Herman Edwards had on Monday, he was talking about, I'm not going to second guess my quarterback. Well, a, a decisions either good or bad uh, relative to what happens in a game. So maybe that's just what Edwards was telling the media but there probably were some situations where Emory Jones should have maybe tucked the ball and, and took off. And um, Emory Jones was, I think he did what a lot of quarterbacks, you know, do and probably should do is put a lot of the responsibility on yourself, even when that's not necessarily the person to blame on some of these plays. Um, but uh, this was an overall I would say below average performance by ASU's offense. And the main reason is because uh, ASU averaged um, 18.6 yards per completion, which was way more than Oklahoma State's 12.8. And Oklahoma State showed in its first game of the season that its secondary was its weakness, like not even close. And yet ASU didn't really stress the Oklahoma State secondary anywhere near as much as it could have by some of these concepts that would have been uh, uh, very possible in screen game, quick game uh, to, to at least sort of get Oklahoma state concerned about the perimeter 
and um, you know, be, be, be more aware about different sort of possibilities. Uh, I, what I saw was the, Oklahoma, the linebackers, Oklahoma State, they were just darting up um, against certain formations because they were, they were not concerned about the ball going to the perimeter uh, on some of these types of things. So I think there's, there's a lot that they can learn from, but 17 points against Oklahoma State was an underachievement relative to what I thought would be the average number of the ASU would be able to score in the game. And sorry, hopefully everybody decided that they didn't want to turn the podcast off already. A lot of a lot of interesting things in there and stuff that people should be interested in listening to. But crazy enough, I'm going to go right back to you, because just to quickly ask uh, a question that people might be curious about. Last week, over the week, all the coaches and players and everyone kind of talked about opening up the playbook. Uh, when you get past NAU, maybe it was kind of a tune-up game. Play against Oklahoma State, and what do you say to kind of fans that may be curious as to, they said they're going to open up the playbook, and then they watch a game that's very, very conservative. Is that something that you think is based off of solely off of what Oklahoma State brought, or what should those fans kind of be thinking after expecting an opened-up playbook? Well, yeah, I think um, no matter what Herm Edwards says, which is that after the game, if we have to, he said, if we have to throw 50 times, we're going to, to win, we're going to throw 50 times. But I think that going into this game, he wanted to take the air out of the football and try to keep it lower scoring, be close, have a chance to win on the road in the fourth quarter, which they did. Um, but at Oklahoma State still had 90-ish plays in the game, and ASU's defense still kind of wore out in the fourth quarter. And I think there were opportunities to open open things up more. Um, you know, we've seen in, in practices, we've seen plenty of uh, passes to the running backs, quick game stuff, things that are basically run replacements, right? It's another way of getting the ball to guys on very high percentage things that then give you a little more diversity in what you're doing. But we just didn't see much of that in the game. And um, that was maybe a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, I think they have they had maybe some continuation bias in this game, meaning that since Edwards wanted to, um, you know, not not get into a shootout or a high possession game, um, you 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 sort of neglect or you don't really um, appreciate what is working to the degree that it actually is within some of these games, which was basically they were hitting on big plays in the passing game. Like the Geo Sanders, uh, you had Elijah Badger had multiple big catches. Um, and I think that there were other opportunities that they had that they weren't, they didn't hit on, but they didn't mean that they weren't there or that they weren't going to be there. So, um, yeah, we'll see how they sort of evolve from this. Uh, but the, 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 I think that it's just, there's this, there's this uh, contrast between what Herm Edwards has t- tended to say, which is, I know that we need to score more points to win more games and be more successful, but yet we're, that may not be what we need to do with this particular team, but that's every single year, basically. And then that opens up a whole nother can of worms about the fact that they've had, you know, uh, different coordinators, three coordinators, and the philosophies have been kind of different within their coordinators and um, the continuity of what they've been trying to do has, has not been consistent and so you know we'll just have to kind of see kind of how things go from here 
For sure. So a lot of interesting things regarding kind of third down failures and how the offense was run throughout that game. Let's go over to another kind of topic of the game that is penalties. Last season, pre-snap penalties were a big problem for ASU. Uh, It was something that really plagued them throughout the season and made them not really kind of reach the goals and expectations that was had for the team. But this game, penalties were happening during play, which was what Herm Edwards called competitive penalties rather than pre-snap penalties, roughing the passers, holding calls, things along those lines. So Cole, I'll go to you first again. What did you see from these penalties and just kind of their impact on the game and, and how maybe they could try to combat it in the future and not have them? Yeah, I mean, there was there, there was more than a few uh, really just costly mistakes that, you know, as a football team, you, you, you just can't afford to make, especially in uh, the latter stages of the game. I think it really popped up on them um, once Oklahoma State's offense really found a groove. And once they got into tempo, I think ASU's defense in particular seemingly was was trying was playing a little maybe not flustered, but just they, they were playing a little bit more aggressive than they probably should have on some on some plays and stuff like that. Like there was the roughing the passer. Uh, there was I mean, there was multiple of those like those just can't happen. Um, and, and those are things that, you know, for their sake, they're going to have to limit. Uh, um, and if they don't, they're going to fall into a different kind of penalty, uh, you know, trouble as like, you know, as we mentioned last year, where it was mostly procedural stuff. And I mean, that was a positive. They only had one false start during the game. Um, but that's something that, you know, you have to iron out those those really costly mishaps and things like that, where, you know, yeah, they're competitive penalties, as Herm put it. But it, that I mean, that nonetheless, you have to you have to play within the within the rules of the game uh, at the end of the day and, you know, or else you're going to get beat pretty bad. Noah, what are your thoughts on on penalties and how they impacted this game? I think it's worthy to mention that while there was only one pre-snap penalty, um, the very first one of the game was, uh, was I believe, committed by TJ Pesfea. Um, That was a roughing call, roughing the passer. He, I don't know what he was thinking, but like two to three seconds after Sanders let go of the ball, he just pushed him down. Uh, and, you know, not falling in line with the narrative of like, oh, they're being a little bit more disciplined. It's a little bit more competitive. That's that's that was not a competitive penalty. That was a, a disciplinary issue. Maybe it was some adrenaline because it was early on in the game, whatever. But then you have another one that is very similar to that uh, with with Joe Moore doing pretty much the same thing. And that one was especially costly, um, as it turned out, because it, it saved the drive. Um, Sanders threw the ball away on that particular play and it would have been, uh, you know, third and medium, third and long. Uh, but instead got, got the penalty called automatic first down and that drive continued ultimately ended in touchdown. So, you know, when you have something like that, um, it's not necessarily the case where it's just one thing or the other. They definitely did have some disciplinary faults, even though there was only one pre-snap penalty. Um, and I did want to mention that while there were some, you know, costly penalties in terms of the timing of it, um, one of which was Trevez Moore's roughing the passer call that uh, it was on a third and 10, kept the drive going. Um, in my opinion, I looked at that play, you know, multiple times that that's just, it, it's, it's tough because that definitely was not a roughing the passer call. Uh, he held him up. It was a bang, bang play when he made contact with Sanders 
And, you know, that, that was that on, on that play. There was also another penalty that was actually declined. It was the Kiwan Markham pass interference. I thought that was borderline. Um, you know, I thought he was in prime position. The ball was underthrown, And so the receiver sort of tried to uh, go over the top of, uh, of Kiwan. And so it, it sort of looked like because he wasn't looking back uh, at the ball, it looked like he was sort of going into the chest of the receiver. They call a penalty, whatever. Um, but, you know, just to sort of address some of the things that, that maybe fans talked about, uh, some of fans talked about throughout the game, you know, there were some of those that were questionable. Uh, but at the end of the day, Cole mentioned it. Um, and that's basically what uh, Donnie said, uh, Coach Donnie Henderson, on Monday was that, uh, you know, what else are you going to do except adjust, you know, to how the game is being called? Um, because that they really didn't have any control over whether or not those were called or not. I mean, that's not their decision to make. Um, and so, you know, just, just overall, those were some of the thoughts I had on, on the penalty situation beyond what Cole already added, which was, um, which is also, you know, very reasonable stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they, the penalties came at, uh, bad times, uh, really fray ASU. um, fourth quarter, they have four penalties. These three of those were, you know, they were directly related to scoring drives. Um, they had the, the, the Joe Moore penalty was a, that's a really boneheaded penalty. It should have been third and 10 midfield and said, it's a first down Oklahoma state scores like maybe three plays later to make it 14 to three. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe they end up having to punt. And that, and and then the first half, and that was with um, like two forty-five left in the in the half when when they scored, and then Oklahoma State ended up getting three more points after ASU played real conservative with three runs after that. So I thought the Joe Moore penalty was really costly. Um, Roe Torrance played well, but he had a pass interference also in the, the fourth quarter. Um, the uh, the the. Noah mentioned that the um, Pesafea penalty was that was that was bad. I think if you're if you're uh, ASU's defensive coaches, you have to say, well, even though one of them was at best borderline, the Trevesmore one, you, you have to say, well, three three fifteen yard penalties on the defensive line for late hits on the quarterback. I think pretty clearly they wanted to make Sanders feel their presence and 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 uh, you know you know make him sort of second guess or get happy feet or move prematurely or whatever. And I, I understand that, but you can't, you can't do that. And then also have the penalties that they had on um, they ASU had 10 overall penalties in the game. We, we talked a lot about this team being the most penalized in terms of yardage in uh, power five football last season and, and how that was very much uh, one of the main factors in multiple losses. Um, especially, of course, BYU last season. I'm not going to say that they would have won this game had it not been for, for their, you know, the above average or to a high number of penalties, but I think they would definitely would have had a much better chance. And um, so that, that was absolutely one of the more uh, important storylines and what uh, led to the outcome. We've talked about a couple of key sequences in the game that kind of caused a change in momentum or caused Oklahoma state to end up getting the win. You talk about how penalties may have had some sort of impact on that. We already talked about the, the Joe Moore penalty uh, talked about kind of the, unabil the inability to get stops in the fourth quarter with some penalties as well. But 
Chris, there was a fumble from maybe a misread from Emory Jones. There was a flea flicker that kind of lost some coverage. What what were your key sequences that we haven't kind of already gone over? Yeah, those were two big ones. Um, and the Joe Moore penalty, I think. Um, it, it, momentum swings, especially when you're playing on the road, uh, you want to make sure that you that, that you have more of them than your opponent and you limit that the, the, the ones. Uh, and especially when you're not putting together a lot of offense, you, if you're not, if you're not stringing drives together that result in points with any regularity, which of course ASU wasn't, uh, going into halftime with three points, um, you have to basically, um, blunt any sort of momentum and the Joe Moore penalty really was a, an issue that you can't turn the football over, especially going on the road at the, the Emory Jones validay thing. I mean, I, you know, I sort of get, I guess I sort of get the play call, even though that's like a very predictable play call in that situation when you have a mobile quarterback. Um, but Jones needed to keep that. They also had a, they, the guys were not lined up properly on that play, which led to the play clock running down. And that probably sped things up. And maybe that's what kept Jones from, getting a good visual cue on the read defender that he was looking at um, in the second half, you know, we, we, we basically talked about it, you know, um, it was the, the momentum that Oklahoma state had that um, sandwiched with ASU having a drive that didn't really do anything. And, um, and, uh, and there just was no momentum for ASU really in the fourth quarter. You know, from from the the from the it, ASU obviously had the two third down conversions and then scored, but then su subsequent to that, there really wasn't anything, and so um, that really can't happen in a somewhat closely contested game in the fourth quarter on the road. All right, so there was a couple couple big key sequences that changed the game that didn't really go ASU's way, but let's go kind of more holistically at ASU's offense and look at how. They performed throughout the game. Cole, we'll go to you first. They ended up 17 points were scored by ASU, but what did you think about their performance as a whole as an offense? Yeah, I mean, we touched on on some of it a little bit, but uh, I mean, I thought generally when they threw the ball, they were they were pretty successful. Uh, they had some big plays, the 73-yard completion to Geo Sanders that set up the Valaday touchdown run, and then the 21-yard touchdown strike to – Elijah Badger, who obviously had a big game. Those obviously come to mind. Um, there was a good pass to Charles Hall on that first drive. Um, so, that you, you know, I think aside from, from their shortcomings and, you know, how, how much they were sort of staggered, especially um, towards the middle of the game, I thought they played a really good you – know, I thought they had a really good first drive, uh, and then they had a really good first drive of the second half. Uh, but they just didn't really follow suit. They didn't. They didn't carry that sort of uh, momentum, if you will, into into the you know the preceding drives. Um, and I think overall, if you're going to put together a strong season or a, you know even just a strong game, you have to be able to you know adapt over the course of a game and understand. Okay, this is working, but we need to sort of diversify things a little bit and not be too stuck in our ways on, on how we operate on first and second downs, because then you fall into the third down issues. Um, so overall, I mean, I thought it was, I thought when they were throwing the football, there was some promise um, for sure. But 
they also didn't really spread the ball around like they did during that first game. Uh, they didn't get the tight ends involved as much. Um, we talked about bat. I talked about Badger a little bit. He had his breakout game, which it, obviously that's a big deal. But um, you know, in terms of the involvement of the other guys, uh, it was very minimal. So I, I think that's something that they need to watch out for. Uh, there was some breakdowns on the offensive line. Left tackle was a revolving door again between Bowley and Glass, and both of them got both of them were very much stifled during this game by the Oklahoma state front. So there's a lot of things that they need to clean up and improve upon if they want to ultimately have more success consistently moving forward. But I mean, there were certainly some positives I think to take away. Yeah. Some might say we're even in the midst of a badger takeover. I don't, I don't know who would say that, but some, some may say something along those lines, but Noah, what were your thoughts on the overall execution from the offense? Well, I mean, I guess I'll stick with badger. I mean, they definitely had uh, bright spots and, you know, Cole pointed out, well, obviously they have work to do. Um, but, you know, one of the plays, uh, one of the third down conversions that, that Chris detailed, uh, you know, the completion to Badger that he sort of fought, spun his way to the first down, that that particular one, you know, not even his his touchdown grab uh, stuck out in my mind as far as, you know, really headlining Badger's marquee performance. Um, I think getting, you know, the kind of production that they're, they're starting to get out of him is, is a good sign for the passing game. Uh, to be, you know, potentially uh, improved from last season. Uh, you know, we've already, you know, kind of thrown it out there. Valade had a great game, numbers-wise, 21 rushes, 118 rushing yards and a touchdown, uh, 5.6 yards per carry. That's, that's, I mean, I don't know how much more you can expect out of him, um, you know, when you look at it that way. Uh, but, you know, obviously, you know, I do sort of subscribe to the, to the fact that they've probably were a little too predictable on, on first and second downs uh, as they sort of continue to stick with uh, the stra their strategy, their run-heavy strategy coming into the game to really slow things down. Um, and obviously, Chris already went into some detail about uh, the run replacement stuff, potentially uh, getting them uh, a little bit more diversity in terms of how they could have uh, attacked Oklahoma State. These are all things that, you know, you'd hope they take into account, um, you know, watch the film, break it down and, and maybe even test out some stuff um, against Eastern Michigan this weekend. I think, you know, at least on defense, you know, this could even apply on offense too. They mentioned just being able to, Donnie Henderson mentioned being able to potentially test out some things, throw in some new wrinkles. You know, I, I think that's going to be something that could really aid their growth, their movement forward uh, from this game. That was, uh, you know, it had, it had, good things to take away. And, and even despite some of the, the broader struggles that uh, foreshadowed their ultimate, you know, two possession, more than two possession loss. Yeah. I uh, felt like in this game, maybe they should have even gone to more 10 personnel stuff, um, gone more empty formation. They had, they did it a little bit in the third quarter, had some success. Um, they haven't thrown the ball to their running backs at all by design, which curious to me because Valerie is obviously one of their best skill players by far. Um, Badger is clearly their best wide receiver athlete, but no, no tunnel screens, no jailbreak screens, no end arounds, no um, back shoulder fades to that to him where you're trying to get force the ball to a guy um, who's, I think at this point, pretty clearly their number one perimeter wide receiver target. Um, uh, I do think that 
a lot of the questions that we had about who would be their go-to receiver of the preseason seems pretty clearly that's Badger and or Geo Sanders at this point, but mostly Badger because you're going to be playing in a lot of uh, formations where you don't even have a slot receiver on the field. And it um, wasn't perfect. I mean, he's still learning about uh, converting certain routes, making sure that he's fi- finding voids and zones and other sort of more nuanced aspects of the position. But uh, that was, I think that was promising for them, kind of what they may be able to get out of him. Uh, they, they're, even though I said earlier, Swinson had a drop, Connors had a drop. I mean, they, they could have easily thrown the ball to their tight ends more in this game than they did. And um, there, we knew kind of going into the season, we talked about this. People on our message board know this the left tackle was a concern that they had um, going into the season between glass and, and bowling and just, you know, because they haven't played at this level, they're both talented, I think, and athletic, but that in and of itself doesn't, doesn't get you all the way there. And um, so we'll see kind of how they adjust moving forward. They're not going to really have other options now that Joey Ramos is knocked out for the season. It's going to be one of those guys uh, or both of them splitting it the rest of the way. And um, I'm interested to see, I think now, you know, there's a lot of talk about them knowing their identity or, or learning their identity by the end of the second game. I think at this point, it's pretty clear what ASU needs to be able to do uh, more of to be successful on offense, and we'll see if they can do it. Switching over to the to the defensive side, Donnie Henderson said it was 50 minutes of good football and 10 minutes of not so much. So, Noah, we'll go to you first for this one. Defensively, what what did you think about the execution on that side of the ball? and how they played kind of in this game as a whole. And we talked about some of those kind of penalties and stuff. You can bring them up, but just what about the whole kind of performance in general? I mean, yeah, I, in, in terms of, we'll start with the secondary. I thought um, at the corners, uh, Chris mentioned it, I thought Roe Torrance, you know, played, played pretty well, um, you know, in terms of overall coverage outside of his holding penalty. Um you know, Keon Markham, when he did get his opportunities, by the time they sort of figured out that Tamarcus uh, maybe wasn't the best option uh, in that particular game, uh, he, he, I thought he showed that he can really be uh, become a reliable option potentially uh, as a starter there. Um, we'll see how that sort of pans out moving forward. It's only the second game. Uh, but I think those are a couple of my takeaways there. Um, you know, Kyle, Kyle Soley, Kyle Soley there in the middle. Um, he had, he had a pretty solid game. I'd say, you know, obviously the stats show 16 tackles and interception, um, all good stuff. Um, there was something that stood out to me as far as uh, an, a missed tackle, like r- later in the game um, that could have been sort of written off as, as just, you know, due to fatigue and things of that nature. But it, it surrendered a first down um, that ultimately led to a touchdown there. So, I mean, there's good and bad uh, sort of balanced in and represented uh, in Soli's performance there. Um, Defensive line, I'm not going to bring up the penalties. We've talked about them so much. They were able um, in spots to really get get pressure on the quarterback, except uh, despite not really uh, being supplemented by by blitzers. Um, that's still, you know, in my opinion, looks like the strongest position group on this team. Um, I think they're going to continue to get better uh, under the guidance of uh, defensive line coach Robert Rodriguez. And, you know, just as far as the defense, 
after one quarter, if I'm not mistaken, zero points for Oklahoma State, who's now the, the number eight team in the country. Um, and, you know, maybe that's too simple, uh, but we've gone into so much detail already. And just when you look at it that way and the fact that they were they were three points, uh, that was the separation uh, to start the fourth quarter after that touchdown. Um, you know, they, they, they were right there and then they weren't <laughs> because of some uh, some details that really got in the way. So, uh, you know, cleaning up that stuff is obviously going to be something um, that they're going to want to take care of. It's early in the season. They have time to do it. Uh, we could continue to see where we're going to we continue to say that we're going to kind of see whether or not they're able to do that. Uh, but, you know, there are promising uh, sort of signs to, to point out uh, just as on the offensive side, on the defensive side as well uh, for Arizona State. Cole, what do you think? Is there anything you think stands out that Noah hasn't covered about the defense's performance in this one? Um, as far as what he hasn't covered, no, he pretty much touched on everything. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this much. They played a really good I have roughly first 20 or so minutes of, of the game. Uh, they did a really good job um, forcing Oklahoma state off the field. Uh, there was a couple three and outs uh, and, you know, players and coaches talked about that. You know, we got to get off the field because when they get that first, first down and they start playing tempo, you know, then we're playing behind and we got to get everybody in order. Then we got to make subs. And you, when you're trying to do that in less than 10 seconds, as they're running up to the line and they're getting ready to call a play because they know exactly what they're going to do that's really hard to, and as you saw how it played out, that's, that's really hard to play defense that way. And ASU did a really good job in those first 20 minutes. You know, Noah talked about Soli. He had a really good game. I thought, uh, you know, a couple of miscues and some plays he probably should have had, um, but overall played a really pretty good game. Um, and then outside of that, I, you know, we talked about the penalties that just can't happen that as well, but, I think at the end of the day, and especially in the fourth quarter, is is really when you saw it. They just got worn down. Um, Oklahoma State uh, ran a lot of plays. Um, they pounded the the rock down their throat. Um, you know, they they gave up 131 rushing yards to Dominic Richardson, uh, who's Oklahoma State's running back. Uh, I thought they handled uh, the scrambling ability of Spencer Sanders a little bit, but uh, you know, overall, they I just don't think they were just outmatched from the from the start and. Uh, it really showed, especially uh, when they were getting worn down in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I would say overall, this was a, this was a pretty good to to maybe even better ASU performance uh, defensively. When you when you consider that uh, the other side of the ball uh, only converted three of twelve first downs or three of thirteen first downs, two of thirteen first first third downs. Pardon me. Um, that's a that's a bad recipe. Like if I knew going into this game, if you said to me ASU is only going to convert two out of 13 first downs, I would have been like, yeah, Oklahoma State's going to score 40 something points in the game. Um, you know, so uh, the fourth quarter wasn't good. I think that they definitely seem like things kind of got away from them and the flea flicker Oklahoma saved for the, you know, the right situation to try to get, make it pay off to a maximum degree. Um, probably not, not as much pressure on Sanders as I kind of anticipated the days you might be able to get. Yeah. There were some four or five pressures and there, there, there were a couple of late hits and, and whatnot, but um, and part of it is they Oklahoma state, they, they, they do try to get the ball out reasonably quickly. And they max pro when 
oftentimes when they don't and they're, they're, they're smart about how much they expose him. Um, but ASU is going to have to probably bring more pressures and try to try to even force more and play more man coverage. And you know, there's the issue, the issue of Sanders, you know, his dual threat capability and what he can do with scrambling is the thing you have to worry about. So that's an issue. But ASU's defensive backs played better than I even expected, with the exception of Demarcus Davis. Um, again, probably rusty, but I think he also he got beat really early with his first play. And I felt like he was like trying to like catch up and he was almost like pressing, trying to make a play. And then that actually made it worse. So he looked rusty to me. He's got to sort of get back into a good rhythm, but road Torrance, the penalty that he had notwithstanding, which was not like a really bad one. It was like, you know, it was clearly a penalty, but it wasn't like a horrible penalty. I would say, um, Keon Markham, I thought played reasonably well relative to my expectations. Jordan Clark, coming in off the bench after not playing for practicing for about four weeks. I thought he actually had pretty good reps. Chris Edmonds was really close to, you know, getting a interception and or a big hit on a completion and around, around the football and some other spots. And Corey Bethley put a big hit on Sanders by the, by the boundary. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that defensively they're in a pretty decent spot actually. Um, they're not probably one of the best defenses in the Pac-12. We weren't expecting that to be the case, but they're at least, uh, at least probably on the better side of average among Pac-12 defenses. Plenty good enough to be a winning team on that side of the ball, but uh, offensively, they still have a lot more that they have to show. And and just to quickly follow up, I'll, I'll go to you with this, Noah. But there was talks of them having a good start to the game, and at the end of the game, they struggled. There's also talks that some of it might have been what Chris kind of alluded to with kind of the third down conversions, not being or being converted by the offense, the defense had to run on and off the field more and they were out there for a longer period of time because of that. So how much of the struggles from the defense towards the end of the game and even in the game in general, do you think can be kind of pointed to because of fatigue from the offense, not staying on the field for long periods of time? Um, A lot of it. And, you know, I think, I just wanted to sort of emphasize this too. Cole brought it up. Um, you know, Henderson sort of pointed out these instances where they could have got off the field because he's sort of saying they contributed to the issue um, and then didn't necessarily help, um, you know, a situation in which they were already on the field a lot because of the third down situation on offense. Um, you know, one of the, on the very last touchdown, you saw Kyle Soli, you know, it was a zone coverage thing. He was trying to run out to get the flats. Um, I think it was Ollie Gordon who caught the, who caught the ball from Sanders. Uh, he looked exhausted. I don't know. I just, I'm just like judging from my eyes. He looked, he looked beat. Uh, maybe he just sort of realized midway through, you know, his pursuit that he was sort of out of reach, but, you know, I just, you see little things like that pop up and, you know, they're not so little because they sort of contribute to um, how they're able to put themselves in positions to succeed, you know, and, and sort of, you know, be where they're supposed to be. Um, and obviously that contributes under the surface a little bit more than it does, um, I guess, in obvious ways sometimes. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I definitely say so. They, they said so. Um, I think it's a pretty big consensus that they were, they were pretty blown by not the end of the game, but probably like the last, you know, 10 minutes, you know, maybe even, maybe even further beyond that, um, 
but either way, you know, that was definitely how they finished. And they may be looking to, um, you know, build up their stamina, but overall, it's not going to be a sustainable sort of recipe in terms of what got them to that point to be that tired. All right. So let's go to the game as a whole. So we talked a little bit after the NAU game about kind of what expectations might be after that performance. What about this game? Was it surprising in any ways? Does it change what you guys expect to see from ASU this season? Cole, we'll go to you first. Not, not too much. Uh, I mean, if you, I mean, if you were to ask me now, like a record prediction, as opposed to, you know, when we did our initial preseason predictions, I probably would be leaning a little closer to six and six than five and seven. But with that being said, I think this game really confirmed a lot of things for me about ASU. And that's that, you know, they're they're probably not as ready as they should be to take on, um, you know, what sort of lies ahead and what is really a, a very um, top heavy and very um, difficult opening part of their conference slate. And if they get into a hole uh, with those games, um, then I think they're going to be in some trouble. Um, And this game was an early measuring stick to kind of see, okay, where are they at um, against a ranked opponent on the road? And I think, you know, as Chris touched on, this was a below average performance. Uh, there was some, there was some good, uh, there was some bad and, you know, there was some ugly in between. Um, but overall, I, I'm not, I'm not really changed. I, I don't think my viewpoint on where this team is going to be by the end of the year has really changed. I don't really see my expectations uh, changing at the moment either. All right. What what about you, Noah? Were there any kind of surprises for you from this game, or did your ex or do, or do your expectations kind of change at all for what you expect to see from ASU this season? Well, I mean, it's toggled upward. Um, you know, when we we're talking about sort of the NAU U game, reviewing what happened there, I, I sort of said that um, nothing really had changed in terms of what I had anticipated moving forward. It was a tune-up game. This one was their first big test. I thought they handled it reasonably well on the road again against the number eight team in the country, or at least now they are uh, in the recent AP poll. So, um, and one thing was, you know, just to point out, I've sort of been holding on to this. I always didn't get to talk about it because, but um, one thing was while, while we're sort of harping on, you know, some of the things that they could have done better to put themselves in better third down situations, um, the three sacks that they did give up um, didn't happen to come on third down or the third and longs. Um, two of them came on first and 10. And then the other one came on a, on a second and long, but after, you know, Valade rushed for uh, a four yard loss. And, and so that's just, that's just to point out um, how good that Oklahoma state defensive line was. Uh, the unit was tied for the most sacks in the NCAA last season. Uh, it, could arguably be the best defensive front they face all season uh, in terms of their schedule here. Um, So, you know, one of the things is just that they lost um, in pretty convincing fashion when all is said and done. But when you look closer, as we have done, we've gone into the details. uh, I feel like I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about this team uh, in terms of, you know, where they, where they can go. Uh, My prediction was five and seven. Um, I'm not ready to go to six and six yet. But I'd say maybe maybe half a win and, and, you know, we'll see where 
how they go from here uh, could potentially be leaning uh, towards that uh, even record. Yeah, so I think a lot of ASU fans watched the NAU game and felt like the team was going to be better than they had expected or a lot of the prognostications. Um, but we kind of after that, having watched all the practices in August, generally felt like maybe it was a, a team that was a half a game or something better than expected. Um, and I would just say that I'm still pretty even keeled about it after Oklahoma State. I don't really feel like it changes much the outcome. I thought it was a six and sixteen before the season. Um, they thought they would have issues in their passing game. That's kind of you know, a little bit of the, uh, the case, but um, thought maybe the secondary would have even more issues than they have. But overall, um, still think that we're looking at a team that's going to be right around five hundred. And um, kind of depends on uh, how well, how good of a job they do from a coaching standpoint. And then, you know, the things that kind of decide games and red zone success, turnovers, penalties, et cetera. All right. So that is what our staff thinks about the Oklahoma State game and what it might mean for the rest of the season. That'll be it for this edition of the Sun of a Source Report podcast. If you want more analysis than what we went over in this podcast, Look out for 10 takeaways and upon further review on the site, we will also have a preview podcast of Oklahoma State up by Thursday, which will be a premium members only podcast. And the first look is already up for Eastern Michigan. So make sure to take a look at that to know about their next opponent. And as always, stay tuned to all of our content leading up to that game on Saturday as ASU is back home in Sun Devil Stadium against Eastern Michigan so make sure to stay tuned for all of our content and make sure to have some discussions on the board about what you think about ASU in this Oklahoma State game. But for now, that is it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for Chris Cartman, Cole Bradley, and Noah Furtado. I'm Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.